You are listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast by The Crossing on how to live into God's bigger story. Hi, welcome to A Bigger Life. I'm Dave Cover. We're going to look today at Psalm 17, the little subscript uh, at the top of this psalm. And these were very ancient. These are in the Bible ever since we have any copies of the Bible. So it's a description by somebody a long, long time ago says this is a prayer of David. The fact that it's just a prayer of David shows us that this is something that's more low-key, something more personal to David. Uh, It certainly was put into the Psalms to be part of corporate worship of the people of Israel and all the people of God and also very much so private worship, private prayer like we do with all the Psalms. But this is a time of David just wanting to come before God in a one-on-one kind of prayer. He says in verse 1, Hear a just cause, O Lord, Yahweh, attend to my cry. In verse 6, he says, I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. This is just David coming before God saying, I just need you to hear my prayer And I'm asking you to listen to what I'm going to say, what I'm going to ask. And there's something about those words when I pray them, when I say them out loud. I've said this before in other episodes, but I just think these kinds of words when we start to pray are good to pray, are good to say, because it feels good to say it. It feels good to say, God, hear my prayer, attend to my cry, for you will answer me, O God. I call upon you. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. There's just an urgency about it. There's a a prayerfulness about it that's asking God, not taking God for granted, not being flippant, but asking God for his mercy to hear my prayer. I call upon you. I come to you. Hear my cry. And there's 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 a therapy almost in those words. There's something about it that's healing, even just saying it. Because now we're putting ourselves in a vertical perspective. Now we're putting ourselves in this perspective that I am focused on the fact that I'm talking to God and that I'm focused on the fact that I depend upon him to hear me. And there's a confidence because David says, for you will answer me, O God. Doesn't mean that God's going to do everything he asks. We've said before that uh, the prayers of God's people ultimately are not going to be answered in many ways until uh, the resurrection, because everybody dies of some sickness, everybody dies of some calamity. And so, you know, these prayers, when we say God's going to answer our prayer, I think that the focus has to be that God wants to answer our prayer. He wants us to pray everything, bring before him every anything that causes anxiety, causes us to have concern, causes us to be moved to need God to answer And answering our prayer is the idea that God's going to answer it according to what we would want him to do if we knew everything that he knows. So I think there's a sense of trust. There's a sense of coming before God and trusting that he does hear us. And over the years for me, I have always had this sense that I I know that God hears my prayer, answers my prayer, And I'm so thankful that he didn't answer every prayer. I mean, I know that sounds like a country song, 
but I'm, I'm thankful that God always answers me according to what's best for me, according to his love for me, according to his sovereignty and his plan. The God that created this universe, the wisdom, the intelligence of the God that created this universe, of course, is going to have a way of seeing all the intricacies of how everything works to bring about his purpose, to bring about his plan for me. I don't want to be the one who's in charge of my life. I don't want my prayers to be the expectations of what God is going to do in my life. I'm coming to God in prayer because he wants me to pray. It feels good to pray. I'm going vertical with my concerns. I'm casting them on him, and then I'm trusting him to answer according to his will. So the situation here with David is like so many of his psalms. He's he's being attacked by people, people speaking violence about him, violence against him in their gossip and in their accusations. And he says, you know, in verse 8, hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. So he's got this situation where he's in danger and he's coming to God because he is being severely threatened. And like all these psalms, almost most of these psalms, this this psalm, this prayer is written in the context of fear, in the context of anxiety, in the context of being having no other options but for God to work. So he says in verse 2, from your presence, let my vindication come. I think this is really a great principle for us because when we go vertical with our concerns, if somebody's gossiping about us, accusing us of something, or even threatening violence against us or a loved one, when we feel in danger somehow, either in danger socially because our reputation is being tarnished or in danger physically because somebody really is, we don't know, but they're making threats against us. What David does here is he goes vertical and he puts it in the hands of God from your presence let my vindication come. You're the one that does it. Verse three, you have tried my heart and you have visited me by night. So here's what he's saying. Look, I've been up all night about this. We all know what it's like to not be able to sleep at night because something's irritating us, bothering us, making us insecure. And we just can't, we can't get to sleep. We're, we're stewing about it. And what David is saying here is this might be even God causing me to see my need for him and also testing my heart that, that I need to search myself to see, am I, do I have something here that I need to take ownership of? Have I sinned in some way that I need to own? So David says, you've tested me and you will find nothing. So he's saying, I've, I've thought about this. I've been up all night. I don't think I'm in the wrong here. So basically he says, I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. So even though he's being unfairly criticized, unfairly accused, and even threatened, he's not going to resort to that with his own mouth. He's not going to slander. He's not going to do violence with his words. I have purpose. It's almost like, as for me, they're doing what they're doing, and I'm coming to you with it, and I pray that from your presence let my vindication come. But as for me, I have purposed, strong words, I have purpose. This is my intention. This is my resolve. I have purpose that my mouth will not transgress. Verse four, I have avoided the ways of the violent. I'm not going to resort to violence in speech or deed. I'm, I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress in response to their transgression against me. Such an important principle. 
in our own conflicts, whether it's marital conflicts, family conflicts, conflicts at work, situations in our lives where we want to do what's being done to us. We want to speak back violent words, whether it's cussing or threatening or in some way lashing out. And David says, no, I've made a I've purpose. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to transgress against those who are transgressing against me. I've purposed that I'm not because I, I'm going to trust that from God's presence, my vindication will come. It's going to be, have to be him that does it. So I'm going to avoid violence in word and deed, and I've purposed that my mouth will not transgress. Here's the heart of the psalm and the part I think that we would come back to in our time of prayer. Verse 6, I call upon you. For you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. What an important perspective. I'm coming to you and I'm seeking refuge. Now, what comes to your mind when you use your imagination? You're going to take refuge in God. O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. You're coming to God. You're coming to your Savior. He's the Savior of those who take refuge at his right hand from all of their threats, all of their anxieties, all of their worries, all of their concerns, all their adversaries. Wondrously show your steadfast Love. What comes to your mind when you think of steadfast love? God's steadfast love for you. He's the Savior of those who seek refuge at His right hand from our adversaries. So David goes completely vertical here. Here's the point I want us to continue to get in these Psalms. We live these lives that are horizontal in our concerns. We have relationship issues. We have financial issues. We have things that happen in our lives that are real problems, and they're real. I'm not trivializing any of it. Some of them are very, very painful and real. They're all on a horizontal level, and we have to take them vertical. We take them to God, and we bring them before Him, before His presence. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge. Whatever refuge I need, I'm turning to God. I'm not going to turn to TV. I'm not going to turn to alcohol. I'm not going to turn to some other thing that fills my life with uh, some sort of uh, a rush or pleasure instead of taking refuge at the right hand of God. I'm taking my concerns to God and finding refuge, not horizontally, but vertically. This is what it means for us to grow spiritually and to grow in our faith and our trust in God. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge at your right hand. Verse 8, keep me as the apple of your eye. You thought Stevie Wonder wrote that. That's in the Bible, 3,000 years old. Keep me as the apple 
of your eye. That means the treasure of your eye, what, what is precious to God. Keep me precious to you, your steadfast love for me. I take refuge in you. Keep me precious. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. This is poetic imagery that we have to use our imagination to really get what's being prayed here that the Holy Spirit has inspired for us to bring into our own prayer life. Oh God, keep me as the apple of your eye. You ever say that to God? Keep me as your treasure. Keep me as your precious person that you love as the apple of your eye. Hide me. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. We would say those who falsely accuse me or gossip about me or threaten me. The last verse, verse 15, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness when I awake. I shall be satisfied with your likeness. So many of David's psalms end with this, I'm going to use a big theological word, eschatological hope, eschatological confidence. That just is a word in theological circles that means understanding the end, the finish line, and what's going to be the future. This is this hope in the end of the race, the finish line of the story, when God's redemption and restoration is fully realized. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. Whose righteousness? Christ's righteousness in my resurrection, just like Christ's resurrected body, resurrected in righteousness without sin, without death, a resurrection of glory and power. I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, now I think he's talking here about resurrection, but it's poetic. It can mean a lot of things. I think it's almost a double meaning, both sleeping in security now and waking up with God gave me another day to behold his face. I also think it's talking about the resurrection. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. I'm going to see your face. Just like we saw in Revelation 21, God is going to wipe every tear from our eye, and now the dwelling place of God is with his people forever. He will be our God. We will be our people. He will dwell in our midst. That's what David is saying here. Here's the story. I'm keeping my focus on the finish line. I shall behold God's face in the righteousness of resurrection when I awake. I shall be satisfied with his presence. I shall be satisfied seeing his face, seeing his likeness, seeing his glory and his beauty and his radiance and his majesty and not being incinerated because I'll be righteous too in a resurrection body like Christ's. Well, let's take a moment here and pray through this. And we're not going to pray everything I just said. A lot of times for me, when I read a psalm, I will read the whole thing and meditate and think about it and try to look at words and see how that word requires my imagination and what it's telling me about something in my relationship with God, something in how I'm supposed to handle my life vertically with God. And then I'll zero in on a few verses, maybe one, two, three verses. I'll zero in on those and use those verses in my prayer time. That's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to zero in on six and seven and, uh, 
and then verse 8 and verse 15. Let's take a time now and come before God with this psalm leading us in prayer, written by the Holy Spirit, putting words in our mouth so that we can draw near to God and he draw near to us. Would you pray with me here? Oh, Lord God, hear my prayer. Attend to my prayer. Give ear to my prayer. I call upon you. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. You hear me now. You delight when I pray to you. Jesus says you delight when I come before you with everything because you're my heavenly Father who sees in secret in the privacy of my own closet. I'm with you, just you and me, and that is a pleasure to you, and I know that it is life to me. In ways I have no idea, your Holy Spirit is giving me life as I come before you in prayer. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. I pray that you would wondrously, amazingly, flourishingly show your steadfast love to me. Your love that is steadfast never failing, never faltering, never weakening, never uncertain, never fickle, always steadfast, intense, intently focused on me 100% because you're infinite. You are 100% focused on me without being any less focused anywhere else. Your love for me is infinite. Greater than the vastness of this universe is your love for me, intense and intently infinite in steadfastness. I trust in your steadfast love for me, O Savior, Rescuer, Deliverer, Healer, Restorer. You are my restorer. You are my deliverer. You are my healer. You are the savior of those who seek refuge at your right hand. I seek refuge, security, safety, relief, forgiveness, grace, mercy, redemption, restoration at your right hand. Jesus is at your right hand, seated at the right hand of the Most High, interceding for me, died for me, risen for me, is my advocate before you. I seek refuge at your right hand in Christ. I trust in your steadfast love for me, your unfailing love for me, I call upon you. I call upon you in your steadfast love. I take refuge at your right hand, O Savior. Keep me as the apple of your eye, your treasured possession. I thank you that I am your treasured possession. Jesus promised and taught over and over how precious I am in your sight. You are my Father who created me and loves me. David says in Psalm 139 that you knit me together in my mother's womb and you are intimately, intimately close to me, involved in every detail of my life. 
Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Hide me in your presence. Hide me in your steadfast love. Hide me in your mercy and your grace. I am confident of this. As for me, I have purposed I'm not going to transgress with my mouth. I'm not going to be violent in my language, but instead I shall trust in you and in your presence and in your steadfast love and in your refuge, O Savior of those who seek refuge at your right hand. I trust that I am the apple of your eye. I trust that I am hidden safely in the shadow of your wings. So as for me, I know the finish line. I know the end of this race. I know what my story says in the end, and that is, I shall behold your face, your glory, your beauty. You are everything my heart has always longed for. Only you will satisfy my soul. I shall behold your face in righteousness, in your righteousness, risen in righteousness, risen in holiness. I shall behold your face and not be incinerated because I shall be righteous in Christ, resurrected in holiness, a body incorruptible, a body in glory, a body in power, a body in full spirituality. When I awake, when I am risen I shall be satisfied because you're the spring of living water. I shall be satisfied with your likeness. I shall be satisfied because you will dwell with me forever because the forever God is my God forever. I will be your people and you will be my God and you will wipe away every tear from my eye and you will let me drink from your spring of living water. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness, with your presence, and all that you are for me in Christ forever. And that's the perspective I have now of all the horizontal problems and struggles and concerns and anxieties in my life. I lift them vertically and I see them in light of your presence and your promise and your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge at your right hand. And I know that I shall behold, when I awake, I shall behold your face in glory and righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness and your presence forever. Thank you for this promise. I trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.